The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Welcome everyone, nice to have you on board for episode 14 of the Boys of Tech. I'm Edwin Herman and as usual, helping me host the show is Brett King. Welcome Brett. Howdy. It's nice to have you on board Brett and I understand you've just invested in uh, World Tour. Indeed, yes. Thrashed it out, already broken one of the peripherals but oh well. Oh you know, really? Already? Yeah. How long have you had? Uh, just... A day. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Is it not an important part? But oh, okay. So it doesn't matter if it gets repaired or not. No, nah, not really. It's only the the um, drumstick holders. Oh, okay. So you can still you can still use it. Yeah, yeah, it's perfectly. Still easy. works. Okay. Oh, that's not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, last couple of weeks we're so quiet around Easter. And I think this week is kind of the week that makes up for it because there are a whole heap of stuff that have happened. Yeah, tons of things have happened. I want to kick off with a story that was hardly reported by any of the mainstream media channels, and that was one that you spotted, and that's Oracle Buys Sun. Mm. Uh, I guess uh, we were a little surprised. We were expecting IBM to be sort of in on this deal that, that was <laughs> sort of going down, but no, it's uh, IBM's out, Oracle's in, and there is a merger announced worth $7.4 billion US dollars. Yes, indeedy. I think we're, we are as about as surprised as IBM was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what I'm, in fact, what's almost more surprising is that, try as I might, I couldn't find the story reported in the mainstream media. Why was no Bizarre. one carrying this? Isn't this like big news or does no one care anymore? Maybe no one cares anymore. I only knew about it because I saw a story about the effects this might have on the um, on Sun's open source offerings. Oh, actually, well, what did they say about that? Is that... Is that going to be? Well, it's all speculation at the moment. Right. So no Oracle official hasn't made any of its intentions known, but okay. Oracle is well known for its proprietary nature and its charging of licensing fees. And well, Sun supports quite a few open source initiatives, not only the Solaris Unix system, but also OpenOffice. Oh, so true, true. Their open source freeware. Oh, how will they fare in the with with Oracle as the new the new boss? So I guess we're worried that what they're going to be uh, commercialized. Commercialized? Can they do that? Though? Don't they? Don't they have a license uh, that prevents that from happening? They do, but it may be more the 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 current versions are released under a specific license, so they will be freely available. But perhaps they will. You know, any new versions will come out under a different license. They'll change the license for it, or perhaps they'll just discontinue supporting it. I hope it doesn't go down that way, but uh, I guess it's got the potential. And you're right, Oracle has very been much a sort of uh, a thing on their own, mm. uh, with their own sort of systems, their own software, their own support, their own control over over their products and services. Indeed. Um, I, I, you know, I hope they do see the value of of uh, open source software. Mm. Well, they've obviously seen the the, the value of um, Sun. <laughs> Hopefully, they will have taken into account the the value of Sun to the open source um, software community. Yeah, Sun was having difficulties, though, weren't they? Sun was having difficulties, hence the whole reason it was looking well, to be bought. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah, that's often the reasons for those sorts of things. Uh, that's that's going to make uh, a, a basically a new huge company that's up there with uh, IBM, Microsoft, and uh, Adobe. Indeed, indeed, a, a another. Um, it's yeah, looks to be a good move for Oracle though. Um, reading some of the stuff, combining the the mainly software side of stuff that Oracle's been to uh, Sun side because Sun as has always had um a hardware as one of their main things um their their unix boxes 
from that, you know, the dot-com heyday. But it'll be interesting to see how um, Oracle uses those two sides. Yeah, Oracle databases on, on Sun. That'd be a mm. nice. That'd be a nice combination. I've always been a little partial towards uh, Sun Sun hardware. I, I really do like Sun hardware. Mm. They make good hardware. And it means that Oracle will be able to offer a total solution instead of we offer instead of you know offering the software side, the database side, and you have to get the the hardware side from the server hardware from somewhere else. Now they can offer a total solution. Yeah, you know, you know what you're going to see? Two versions of, of Oracle, one that only runs on Sun and one that you have to pay another huge premium to get it to run on anything else like Dells and HPs. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, it kind of, um, in fact, I think Oracle said that it, it will become clear as to why this merger happened in the first place. Uh, indeed, so indeed. I think, I think Makes much more sense than eBay buying Skype, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We talked about that last time on how what, what a queer combination that was. But no, this one, you're right. Yep. This one does make sense. And I think I think what uh, what was being referred to is, is what you've said, is the ability for them to, to take the hardware and the software and offer total solution packages. things. Mm. And also, I, I think you know when, when a vendor makes both the hardware and the software, the two work together a lot better. Not only can yeah, they offer they, them, but you know they actually work better. Yeah, um, that's one of well, the reasons that you know Apple's always been quite successful and often been uh, be good in the um, you know in the home environment because things just work. If you buy, as long as you buy Apple products, you know they will work. The operating system works well with the hardware because they know about each other, and yeah. I think they've got the potential to do the same here. They do indeed, just not in the home it's, market, but. Yeah, just not the home market. Oracle and Sun have never really been home market products. <laughs> no. Hands up how many people have an Oracle database at home. <laughs> or, Sun, or a Sun web server or something. <laughs> Indeed. Every home should have one. Come on. <laughs> the, the other big uh, uh, news that, that's out there to report is Adobe is uh, trying to secure some set-top deals for its Flash-based technology. What Essentially, mm-hmm. what they're trying to do is become, or, or for Flash, to become the media platform on cell phones, computers, and television. Mm. Do, do we want this? Is this good, or is this kind of a... Were we hoping to see silver light in there, or how do we feel about that? From a consumer perspective... As long as it works and delivers what it's saying it's going to deliver, then yay. Yeah, Whether I, it's Flash or Silverlight or, or yeah. any other sort of media delivery, it's as long as it works, consumers will – that's all they care about. So it doesn't make Consumers themselves don't care whether it's Flash, whether it's Silverlight, whether it's, you know – a paper cup with a piece of string as long as it works and provides them with the media they want. Right, so consumers don't really care. Basically. Does it does it give Adobe too much control though, do you think? Well, they are. By securing a deal to put its Flash software into, into set-top boxes in TV, they are broadening their scope, their place where this product is. They, all, they already dominate in web. In web media, so yeah, I was gonna. I was hoping to get some figures uh, to show uh, the, you know, how far Microsoft Silverlight has come because I'd like, I'd love to know because they were, they were, at the, you know, when Silverlight started, well, not just Microsoft, but a number of people were saying, right, that's it for Flash, goodbye Flash, that that's it. There's something bigger, better, newer, and that's mm-hmm. going to be the new standard. But I, I haven't seen any figures, but I, I get the feeling that Adobe is still holding the the throne. Well, according to Adobe themselves, they say that 98% of all PCs has Flash installed on them and almost 80% of all online video is delivered using Flash. Those are Adobe's own reported figures, but... Well, they wouldn't say anything else, would they? <laughs> they, they wouldn't no. say anything else, but you've, you know, you, you'd hope there's some yeah. realism. They'll be inflated slightly, almost certainly, but yeah. you never know. But, but what, what, what you <laughs> but asked, it wouldn't surprise me. That is the thing. It would right. not surprise okay. me. Okay, so so we think that Adobe Flash is is dominant out there. 
I, I think you're right because that, that's what it seems to be anyway. But that's why I was hoping to get some figures which I haven't got. But look, yeah, look, uh, I think um, I, I don't know whether this makes it harder for Microsoft's uh, for Microsoft Silverlight because I think Microsoft were trying to cut some deals as well. Although there mm. is, well, I think there is some room because where Adobe haven't been able to uh, do deals is with Sony and Samsung. They've they've, mm. they've told them to go away. So they've got the like Broadcom chips and stuff like uh, Intel, NXP. But uh, that doesn't cover TVs by Sony and Samsung. No. So I'm not sure whether that no. opens the door for, for other... And Microsoft also has um, the Xbox 360. The gamers who use their... Because the Xbox 360 is also a media server, it will play media from any um, accessible media server that it can find on the network. And they could Microsoft can easily use that as a platform for, you know helping t- the take up of Silverlight. Yeah, so it does give Microsoft some opportunities out there. So um, it's, but it's, you know, it's interesting to see them branch out because when you think Flash, you, 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 people often do just tend to think, you know, oh, YouTube or, you know, something like that. But it's, it's more to it than that. There's, and also on the cell phone as well. They're, they're, they've got Flash on the cell phones. Indeed, Flash Lite. It's been available for mobile phones for a yeah. while. Yeah. Does it, does it allow them to view YouTube content? Um... I'm not sure. Probably. That's just a stab in the dark. It wouldn't surprise me. Hmm. I do have a figure on that one, though, if you wanted to know. Yeah, go on then. They reckon that about 40% of all mobile devices that were shipped in 2008 had um, flashlight on them. Okay. How does that compare with ones that had something else versus nothing? No idea. That's the only figure I've got for you. Okay. Oh, well, we'll have to do with that figure then. Hey, Indeed. The, moving along then, uh, Pirate Bay lawyers are demanding a retrial. Now, we reported... As they damn well should. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. We reported the story la- uh, last week, and what had happened is the, the four men convicted of running the Pirate Bay file-sharing website uh, were given one-year jail sentences each. Uh, the lawyers are now asking for a retrial, and what's what's there's been an interesting revelation, hasn't there? Yes, some very interesting revelations. The lawyers for Pirate Bay have said that the the judge in the trial acted with um, ulterior motives, that he has connections to the Swedish Copyright Association and has been acting in unfairly influencing the um, jury in the the verdict. So, yeah, (laughs) some very some pretty serious allegations of misconduct by the by the judge in the trial. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. If those if those are found to be true well, if it's true that there's a conflict of interest, that that could really turn that things could, around. That could call that as a mistrial and yeah. it would have to be done again. The they've they're claiming that it's corruption and you know, uh, on an unforgivable level and unfairness in the fact that the judge dismissed uh, a, a previous juror because of his affiliations, saying that he would be unfairly biased in favor of the Pirate Bay founders when he himself (laughs) is affiliated with copyright associations and is unfairly biased against them. How ironic is that? Yeah, we've got some 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 underhandedness going on there. Some really does seem like some ulterior motives. It could explain it could explain the the, uh, verdict, couldn't it? Yeah, it could explain the completely surprising, completely over the top verdict (laughs) brought against this. Maybe maybe the judge will find himself in jail for a year. Under corruption charges or something. If if they turn out to be true. Yeah, if this turns out to be be the case, he could very well find himself on the other side of the judicial bench. <laughs> I bet that's but, what I bet that's what the Pirate Bay would love to see the most. They would. More than anything else. <laughs> They'd like to see see uh, if it turns out to be true that this guy be be punished and you know cuz they would like that, you know, it's just their personalities. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, look, you know, we we don't know we can't really make any, you know, statements at this point. As but we what, will what, definitely be case. keeping an eye on that trial. Oh, yes. We'll, we'll definitely report back. I think a lot of people will be keeping an eye on that one. Yeah. That, that's interesting. This is this is kind of like something out of a movie. Mm. <laughs> Almost. It and, is. Yes. You, know, you know, Paul McCartney's actually come out and, 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 and he said that the pirate verdict was fair. 
<laughs> you know, the, the one-year jail I, sentence. <laughs> that oh, it's ridiculous! Ridiculous! Come on, come on, man! Let me want completely unfair. So, would you really jail someone for? A, I mean, come on, for not for for what? Providing a few servers? I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> they're providing a search service. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that uh, they're not hosting any copyright. They're not breaking any copyright laws themselves. If somebody decides to use that service to break. Um, the law, it's the person who used the service who's the one who should be in trouble for it. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm surprised he's come out so so vocally and said that. One year jail sentence, fair. I look, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not so mm. sure. And I, I wonder yeah. whether whether if what we just talked about and the conflict of interest in the case turns out to be true, whether Paul McCartney would, would still be saying the same thing. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. But, uh, we will find out, won't we? Yes, no, we'll definitely keep an eye on that one, that's for sure. You know, what? the other thing that amazes me, though, about the whole you know copyright thing is a study was done recently, I don't know if you saw that, the, uh, that, that music pirates are actually the biggest music buyers. And the labels, you know what they've said, the music labels? Ah, yeah, right, whatever, we know best. <laughs> of course. But it, it's not really surprising when you think about it. The people who are actually swapping music are people who enjoy music, people who like music. So they're far more likely to actually go and purchase music because they are people who like music. The people who aren't going to be buying music are the same people who aren't going to be sharing music. Yeah, well, they're that's the, true. It's... They're the rest, of the, the rest of the apathetic population who's not that into music. Music to them is just either a background or they happen to like the song that's on the radio as they're driving to work in the morning. They're, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you put it that way, it, it, it kind of, it's almost a no-brainer. But no, yeah. music labels, no, 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 they can't be right, no. Pirates are, are, are people stealing our money. That, that's who they that's, are. Yeah, that's because, once again, as we've talked about before, they're stuck in the mindset of the way the industry used to work. Yeah. Yeah. And in the modern age, the digital age, the internet age, that business model does not work anymore. People don't buy an album anymore. No. People use have the with the ability to download a song through iTunes, through Amazon's MP3 service or, or whichever, you can pick the songs you like from the bands you like and you can skip all of the crap that that band may have produced as well, which would be, you know, <laughs> in some circumstances, half or more of the album that you would have paid 20 bucks for. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I totally agree <laughs> you with you. You can instead, well, you know, in this country, 35 bucks for, <laughs> you can yeah. instead pay your two bucks and get the song you want yeah. you know, <laughs> that you look, actually like from them. And so, yes, of course, they're going to see a change in their income because previously they were selling a vastly overpriced product that had a lot of stuff that people didn't want. And now that the model is you sell the songs as songs, not as albums, generally, you can still buy albums, but you know, most people buy songs. The amount you could charge for a digital download song is much smaller than what you would charge for a single or you know something stamped on a CD because there's none of the associated costs. And so, yes, of course, you will have seen a drop in revenue from it, <laughs> yeah, actually, but it's well, the business yeah. model of the future. Yeah, <laughs> and to keep referring to the you know the revenues you used to rake in selling huge volumes of albums is ridiculous. There's tons of. Um, you know, statistics already showing how huge the number of individual songs being sold through legitimate online retailers. Huge volumes. Yeah. But they're individual songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People aren't buying an entire album anymore. They're buying the songs from an album they like. So the recording industry and recording artists have got to start thinking in that frame of mind from that business model. You're not trying to sell an album worth of music. You are selling the songs, which means it does mean that groups have to put it more effort into making sure that they don't just have one hit wonder songs and try and sell an album full of, the, you know, fillers. 
full of fillers uh, to rake in 35 bucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I totally agree with you, but there are a number of people out there that have actually said, oh, it's really sad to see the end of the album and that the album represented a, a piece of work that all the tracks on the album worked together in some way and went with the artwork and the whole thing was kind of one entity and to break it up is such a bad thing. There are... There are albums like that, and there are audio files like that as well. But then, how many of the albums that are produced today are like that? Not a lot. Exactly. There were Beatles albums that did that, Daft Punk, but yeah. Yeah, but people say this about the any... The artists now where they actually have songs which are carefully put together and all complement each other and aren't just the music made for the CD to make money. Yeah, but there are people that will just will say will apply that to to all album albums. They'll they'll just say that no, no, it's you know even if they're not designed that way, it kind of does you know sort of fit the whole the whole thing's a piece of art. And I don't know, you know, to me- the songs are the piece of art, and it doesn't stop um, artists from creating groups of songs which go together. It doesn't stop an artist producing you know twelve tracks where each and every one of them flows together and all tells part of a story. And if it works, then people will go and they will buy your 12 tracks. Yeah, look, you know, I, I agree. And to be quite honest, the fact that people... But if they only but, want one of them, yeah, yeah. then why force well, exactly. the rest is- of the 12 on? Because instead of having the person actually give you some money for one of your tracks that they actually really like and want to listen to, they will instead go... Eh, I don't want the rest of that music, I, I, and I can only buy it in one lot, and it's way more expensive than if I could just buy the one that I like, that I'm not going to bother. And that is, you know, one of the main reasons that people don't. The fact that people are choosing to buy songs individually just goes to prove that albums aren't viewed as a piece of art and as a single entity that works together so much. Well, not I, I, so much anymore, but... But there's always going to be situations where if you've marketed it right, that an album does go together to tell a story. It's about putting the marketing behind it to let the public know that that is a total piece and so that they should treat it as, you know, if you like this particular song in here, then the song before it and the song after it are freaking awesome as well and they all tell a good story. Then people are going to buy those other songs as well. Yeah, but if you have, but there's there's no point saying it's a it's being an artist saying oh the album itself is my piece of art when there's two huge money makers that were written by somebody else that you were yeah. you know that you were told to play yeah. and then the rest of it is full of filler yeah to yeah. pad out the the what twelve fourteen tracks on yeah, a CD I agree then the rest of it might be crap you know. <laughs> not you know yeah. I'm not casting any aspersions on the majority of artists I'm just saying that you know in my history of buying CDs of which I have a relatively large collection of CDs I have legitimately purchased over the years before the internet existed before Pirate and, Bay <laughs> pun before Pirate Bay <laughs> <laughs> no I have iTunes yeah it's I've been burned by the you know listen to the one song that's not played on the radio and go, oh, that sounds awesome, and then go and buy the CD and discover, no, no, that was a one-hit wonder band. Yeah, I've, I've been there's one I've track been on there. this. Yeah. There's one track on this CD of 12 tracks, <laughs> and the other 11 tracks make me wish I had never spent the money on that, yep. <laughs> on that thing in the first place. <laughs> I can so relate to that. That, that, was, that, was so, that was me in the 90s, you know. As a consumer, I like being able to just choose to buy a track at a time. If I want to buy someone's entire album, and I have bought some al- entire albums online uh, before, a number of them, mm-hmm. as complete albums, I'll choose to do that. But at least I have yep. a choice now. It's all about choice as far as I'm concerned. Consumer choice is, is a good thing. Exactly. And you've got to wonder at, at some part of this for the, the amount of money. Is it the artists that are being hurt by illegal sharing of music or is it the 
industry that's been built up around artists and around the album model of sales that is being hurt by it. There's, there's not been a lot of information that I've been able to see about you know independent artists no. who are putting their music out through iTunes, through other mediums, where more of the money goes directly to the artist and there's not this other overarching organization which takes its slice before it actually goes to the artist. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. It a lot of it smells of big associations suddenly discovering that they may start to become pointless. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have predicted and that. They're yeah, they're getting scared <laughs> about yeah, so- their 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 cash cows suddenly going away, and they're now overreacting about it, trying to hold on to an outdated business model instead of embracing the new. Uh, technology, the new ways of getting their artists known and getting their artists out there and, you know, having a, a, a more to the artists and changing their business model. Uh, the best way to get your artists known out there at the moment is to get them on Britain's Got Talent. That's what you do. <laughs> Indeed. Susan Boyle has just become this internet celebrity I after our the the last discussion we had where you mentioned her, I actually listened to the performance that she did for Brit, you know Britain's Got Talent, and she's got a really good voice. Oh, she I'll, has. Yeah, I really say that she's got a really good voice. I think, and in the surprising package. <laughs> yes, that's. I think that's the key thing because you know I saw a, a sort of a news item on TV about Susan Ball when I first you know heard about her turned towards the tv and i saw this woman singing and i thought but i didn't really watch the tv i was more listening than watching and i thought why is everyone going nuts about her i mean look i won't deny she's a great singer but she's no better than some of the other talent i've heard on on these shows Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until i really looked at her and realized that what we what we see on stage is to me what was and i don't mean this in in a degrading way but was sadie the cleaning lady Yep. That's what I saw on stage, you know? Sadie the cleaning mm-hmm. lady. That's exactly what she looked like to me. Yet, out comes this amazing voice of someone that, you know, you would expect to see in, in some flash performance, some, I don't know, Broadway operetta or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and I think, that's, I think that's the key, the fact that she doesn't look what you associate her voice with. You know? That, yes. That's, I think that's, that's why she's become so... You know, uh, and good for her. You know, mm, yeah. Although the, definitely, there seem to be two camps out there, though. There are those that say she will really make it big, and then there are other camps that, on the more pessimistic side, saying, "Nah, she's just a, an overnight thing. She'll last a couple of weeks, and we'll forget about her, and we'll move on to the next person." I kind of feel that, that might there might be some truth to that, but uh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, well, it really depends on how she's marketed and what to what audience, like. The, the the shock and awe value of of you know her voice and her appearance as it was portrayed in, in um, Britain's Got Talent when it was first you know first swept the world that's that shock and awe is going to attract certain audiences to begin with but then they're going to drift away because of the you know the the particular audience of songs and music and glamour visuals that they're used to but. If if she sings, you know, songs which are more, they are songs to be listened to, not songs to have some poppy music video too, whereas her voice, because that's what we're talking about here, music, yeah. it's all about the sound, it's not about the visuals, it's only about the visuals. If it's less musically inclined, inclined um, you know, genres of music, <laughs> which is more about the flashy music video and the yeah. such forth, and less about the actual music itself. But if she gets into things which are, as you said, opera and that sort of series of music, then the people who listen to that, they listen to that. They don't watch the flashy music video that goes along with it. If she goes for that, then it's her voice which will carry her, and everything else means nothing. Although I still think the fact that she doesn't look like what she sounds like is is an important thing, or is that just important now as as the you know as the the icebreaker, if you like? That's just important now as the icebreaker. 
So you reckon that's not going to become important anymore? No, no. Depending on which mm. which she goes for, what what is you know offered to her, if 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 the music tries to keep up with the the trendy high visual stuff, then there's only so long that that will that shock and all will carry before it becomes the everybody's old news. You know how in, internet memes love to die. Yeah. But if if what is offered to her is music which is carries in the voice and not in the flashy visual or the shock and awe value that it's purely based on the, on the singing, then yeah, she could definitely continue going on oh, now good. that she's made this, this entrance. Yeah. Best of luck to her. Hey, Indeed. I want to I move on now and talk about the case of copywriting television program information. Hmm. You know, we did talk a, a few episodes ago about how, you know, the fact that television program listings are copied, well, insofar as the, the television companies are concerned, that's copyright to them, and that's really not been contested much. But there has been a case recently, hasn't there, Brett, where that was yeah, contested? Indeed. Tell us about that. Um, a high court in Australia has um, released a decision on a court case between a independent entity and the um, Nine Network of Australia. And the, the court case was about the Nine Network was accusing the defendant of copyright infringement because the defendant published the Nine Network's television programming guide. In its, in, its, in its amalgamation guide. So it produces a guide of what's on telly. And nine networks took a case against them saying, you're, you're infringing our copyright because you're publishing our program guide. Well, the High Court in Australia has said, no, no, that's not. That's fair use. They've said it's not copyright infringement at all. Yeah, because when we last and, talked, your argument was the fact that you cannot copyright fact. It's a fact that a certain program is going to be screened at a certain time. Indeed. And that you can't and, copyright Well, that. it looks like the High Court of Australia has <laughs> exactly the same idea. It's a fact. And this impacts on something else that we talked about in a, in a few episodes ago about the application. Um, one of the highest selling iPhone apps in the App Store, the train timetable for Sydney. That's some, you know, a guy who was sick and tired of not knowing the train timetable, created the app for his iPhone and then started selling it on the, the iPhone app store and it was selling really, really well. And then he was served with cease and desist. That's right. I remember Sydney, that. Yeah. Uh, by whoever it is who owns Sydney Rail. And it was a local, local government. They, cloned, mm. they clo- claimed p- copyright on their train timetable. Yeah. This has direct relationship to it. This is saying no. <laughs> In the case of TV programming guide, which is exactly the same as yeah. a train schedule, um, the schedule of information. Yeah, yeah, that publishing it in a third party by a third party is is not copyright infringement. So look, if it if it really was copyrightable, as they claim it to be, I'm now going to break the law. I'm going to tell you that Wednesday at six o'clock this week on Television One here in New Zealand. They're going to be screening one news. There you go. I've broken the law if it's copyrightable. See, I've just I've just told you what's going to happen. So they can uh, come and sue but me. But you haven't because you've just stated a fact. <laughs> yeah, well. As well, as, as close as to this, a fact yeah. as a schedule can be. Yeah. Although I did remember, just to go back to that argument, I did say at the time, though, that the counter side to that is, well, it's only fact because – a certain company, like the television company in this case, says they're going to broadcast that. And that statement is copyrightable in a way, isn't it? I don't know. Mm, yes. We could have this whole, <laughs> whole debate again. I'm not really sure where it stands. But look, this court case has certainly told us the answer to that, really. At least in Australia, you, it, it's, it's, it's not copyrightable. So uh, go ahead and yep. use that. Yeah. Uh, we all know why they want it to be copyrightable because they can make money off that selling listings. Indeed, and, and then it's because it's their IP. They can then sell only their program guide. Yeah, and you know, with the number of um, you know stations and networks around the place, each one of them only being you know being the only source of their TV guide, you suddenly have to buy if you've got <laughs> you know five or six or a half dozen networks, you have to buy five or six or a half dozen program guides so that you can find out what's yeah. on during the week. Yeah. <laughs> 
whereas this the the defendant in this particular case was publishing an amalgamated guide of what is on telly. <laughs> so I guess it's a common sense thing, isn't it? You, you, your thoughts were very much along the lines that you can't copyright that. So for you, yep. this is a com- this is common sense for you. Yeah, mm. it it seems like common sense, and it, it, it's nice to see a high court thinking it's common sense. We've seen a, a few good decisions from the courts in the last few weeks, haven't we, doing this podcast? This is, this yeah. is quite a good thing. They're not all as... Uh, um, not all as doom and gloom. Yeah, no, no. I want to also talk about the alleged hackers that have broken into the US Air Force's Joint Strike Fighter Program, apparently. Again, they're saying they're from China. Do we need to be worried no, about these things? Is this like cyber terrorism that we should all be worried about? Well, it's not cyber terrorism, but it is most certainly cyber espionage. This is cyber yeah, sorry, spying. Cyber, cyber, at, yeah, cyber espionage is a much more accurate term. It's not indeed. really terrorism, but could it, <laughs> could it lead to terrorism? You know, information gathering. Well, to, it, well, well you know, why else anything would they, like that, but it depends on who does it. But if it is if it's government to government espionage, then there's all kinds of reasons why you would, you know, want to find out about the country across the the big country across the waters uh, latest um, you know weapon because <laughs> it means that if you know about it, you can develop ways to counter it. Yeah, I, it, or develop I, seems, your own is a quick way of shortcutting your own way. Well, if, yeah, that's you know, true. They've spent what? It's the most expensive weapons program the US have ever had, and somebody's stolen several terabytes worth of data on it, including weapons specifications. It's well, <laughs> well what, <laughs> it means why? somebody's either wanting to make yeah. one <laughs> and shortcut their own development time, or they want to be able to know what the capabilities of this thing is going to be, so that they can see if they can come up with counters to it. Yeah, I mean, why why spend all that money on R and D when someone else can do it for you? I mean, well, exactly. There's, there's a reason why Microsoft call Apple's headquarters R and D South. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a worry, I guess. Uh, you know, but it there's no is, no need for panic, the, though, right? The well, the the worry about it is the fact that people were able to get in. Doesn't it? This make is a this is a military system. Does it make this you, is a U.S. military yeah. system? And how it, in the world was this able to be infiltrated? Does it make you wonder <laughs> how many other people have got the same piece of information and we just don't know? Or how many exactly. other or similar organizations, you know, government organizations have we, been yeah. hit that we just don't know about? Is this the tip yeah. of the iceberg? It's it's definitely the tip of the iceberg. And you never know. There's been no reports on other than they've, you know, they are alleging that it was Chinese hack attempts. But there's nobody certain that, you know, China's actually involved. Nobody's certain who no, is involved. Allegations, isn't it? Nobody knows if it's a government, if it was an organized thing, or if it was organized crime getting something that they can then sell to the highest bidder or on sale to multiple targets. It's Nobody knows these extra things other than that they've reported that this is what's happened. There have been a, a large number of computers that have been ensnared up in a botnet and that includes a lot of UK and US government departments as well. Although mm. they're not really saying a lot. The the uh, spokesman for the Cabinet Office in the UK says, it is government policy neither to confirm nor deny if an individual organisation has been the subject of an attack, nor to speculate on the origins or success of such attacks. So they don't really say, tell you a lot. But um, <laughs> so I, I They think will conf- neither confirm nor deny anything actually happens. That's right. But I think uh, <laughs> if the report Reports are correct. There's there's a bunch of government PCs in the UK that have been compromised, you know, and even though they're mm-hmm. not confirming that, uh, it just seems like I, I don't know. Is, is you kind of wonder is security too lax, or is it just that these guys are really really smart and they would break into any enterprise, be it private or well, government? I think you will probably find that this will come back to the same thing that we've talked about many, many times. What's the what's the one weakest link in any security system? I know the answer. It's people, isn't it? Exactly. But is it, it though? Is it, is it in this case? I'd like, it'd be nice to find out what the details of the exploit were. I, because- yeah, I would so bet that it's people. It's, it's the secretary who's sitting there 
on reception with nothing better to do um, than browse the web, clicking buttons and answering whatever emails are sent in and strike their fancy. Or it's the analyst sitting in his cubicle who has actually installed peer-to-peer software so that he can get music on his computer at work and use the works network, that sort of thing. There's been you know, several reports of employee internet use and et cetera from different places around the world. So it would not surprise me at all <laughs> that the, the reason that these um, botnets have infiltrated government departments is employees and not following the, the party line. What has been reported in the latest case is that it, what allowed these computers to be taken over are vulnerabilities in web browsers. But what you're saying is that it may well be the case that someone still has to click on a link that they've been sent or something like well, somebody that. Has so there's a human factor involved. To, yeah, well, any botnet to, to exploit a vulnerability in a web browser, the web browser has to go somewhere with something on it that's going to exploit the vulnerability in it. Do you see what I'm saying here? Yeah. So Somebody that, is going to have to have opened the email saying, click earn here. more money now, click yeah. this link, or we need you to input your bank information because you may have been compromised, or hello, my name is insert name from Nigeria and I have $20 million that I need to offshore because my husband slash wife, who was the CEO slash you know, business manager of an oil thingy has died and I want to keep this money, so I'm going to give you some. Same old story, different names. Exactly. People clicking <laughs> yeah, on things yeah. that then open up in the web browser. The web browser goes to the web page. The web page activates something, discovers that the browser is not patched, <laughs> and takes advantage of the vulnerability in the web browser, and bada-bing, you have another machine in your botnet. Can you blame people, though? I mean, is it, you know, do we all make mistakes? Do you expect the average oh, person to be, to be completely Even the most security-conscious tech will, you know, fall for something. <laughs> It does make it a tricky one to tackle because you're right. It is, well, what it comes down to, it is people. Yeah. Uh, but if people aren't going to be, uh, you know, more savvy than they are, then it is up to the. it is up to the tech department to be on yeah. it. Why in the world is a government desktop PC running unpatched? Why does it have a vulnerable web browser? Why is the antivirus or anti, you know, malware programs on the machine and detecting these not things, update, mm. protecting it? Mm. It is a, it is the fault of the IT. The IT department wore, dropped the ball. Mm. The IT department did not keep the machines updated. The IT department didn't keep their antivirus updated. The IT department didn't properly, you know, prep their the staff in the department of do's, basic do's and don'ts. A lot of the hacking stories we've seen reported recently are to do with government departments being the targets, and I guess there are a couple of reasons why. Uh, number one, the information they have certainly make for interesting targets. And number two also is that it makes for an interesting story when reported. Uh, but I'd like to think, uh, whether this is true or not, I'd like to think that the private enterprise is no better protected than than the government uh, sector. It's just that, you know, people are targeting the government sector so, and, and so we hear about these things. Mm, I mean, yeah. sure, surely it's not well, a case I, that... I'd personally like to think that the private sector was better <laughs> was better protected, but I, I think you are absolutely right. I think it's more that the, the, the private sector is underreported in these instances because, well, they're private and they're not going to want to broadcast that they've been hacked unless they really, really have to. But also Whereas there's, there's government this, departments, there's more of, there is a slight obligation there and there's also all of the other oversights that get to have a look at bits of information that they may publish. Okay, I want to move on to Britain's new anti-terrorism strategies. And that is, what they're doing is they're going to offer free training to Islamic groups on how to increase their Google search ranking for their sites. And, but they're only going to offer it to select groups. And those are the ones that promote Islam in a favorable way. The hope, or the idea, if you like, is that 
the Islamic sites that are, if you like, anti-Western, the extremist sites, will be lower ranked. Is that is it? Is this a good idea? I don't know. It just seems a bit. Well, it's 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 a government interfering with the flow of information on the internet. Basically, they're they're wanting to, as you say, train groups that present their religion in a positive light and have positive in- interpretations, positive relationships with the West and with other religions. They want to promote those groups by training them to allow them to, you know, as you said, boost their Google ratings so that it's their websites that come up whenever you do a search uh, instead of um, hate sites, basically, um, and sites which are radical sites. Yeah, so should a government even so be doing that? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, you've got an interesting, another one of these wonderful gray area ones of the, the bad, the, on the one side, you've got government manipulation of information. On the other side, you've got the promotion of positive interpretations and positive promotions of religion and religious tolerance over, you know, radicalization and um, hate groups and anti-religion stuff. So you've got two sides (laughs) and they're quite, you know, they're different. But in this particular instance, they're interacting. You've got what would generally be considered a bad thing, government manipulation of information with a good thing of the, you know, promotion of something that's positive and anti-terror. And it's... I guess, okay, so we know about this one, but how many others yeah. don't we know about? Because, you Indeed. know, what at if, least what if it was a At least they've announced it. Well, yeah. But <laughs> at least would... they've said their plans. It's, I, I fully support the, the outcome that they're looking for. The promotion of religious tolerance is is something that should be helped as much as possible. Too much of what you see when you do searches for different religious groups is the negative sides of them, either the negative side of the, the religion itself or the radical proponents of that religion trying to influence you. And... The positive elements of the many different religions never get highlighted and because those proponents are the least likely to do a lot of self-advocacy. <laughs> I think the government's, uh, the British government's heart is in the right place, but I, I, there's something to, that I just can't quite get my head around in their approach. I, it just seems... It's another one. It seems quite a radical way of, you know. It is a radical way of fighting something that is quite radical when you think about it. (laughs) It's a radical way of fighting um, against radicals. It depends on how they uh, implement it. Uh, With a lot of these things, it's how they implement it. How transparent is it? But is this not going to be another? Is it different groups being able to apply? for this training and then the government has an approved body which vets those groups or is it just the government hand picking different groups but if then, it's hand picking then you've got a lot of that manipulation but yeah. if there's government vetting of groups that can apply and any group can apply then you've got something that's a lot more transparent but isn't it dangerous because let's say you've got a, a left-wing government and they're offering these sorts of uh, deals. But say this is extended you, to… You, know, you are on… And, yeah, and you get this right-wing blogger or something and he's not allowed to, to go to the free training on how to promote his site because he's right-wing. So they choose, they pick out, they handpick out all these left-wing bloggers and left-wing media and so on to increase their to, rankings. And, yeah, we, we've got exactly the same situation here as… The, the big internet filters, like the internet filter that's been proposed for Australia and with the, the blacklists and all that sort of yeah. stuff, is they've got good intentions. And for the most part, the, the proper implementation of it would almost certainly be wholly positive, but they've got the possibility of abuse. The way to take away the the possibility of abuse of these systems is to bring in more transparency and oversight so that there's no way that somebody could underhandedly, you know, subvert 
the the purpose of the of the the system as it's supposed to be implemented and to make sure that that is like enshrined in whatever legislation has to go around it especially if it's something that's as this is and as the internet filters around the the world are proposed to be government controlled I, I guess it's the the, well, the story we're talking about, um, you know, the promoting of the Google rankings for certain people. I, I guess it's harder to to hide that than it would be something like an internet blacklist. I mean, someone can just punch in a new URL and you'd never know on, mm. on the blacklist. Whereas at least with this, where you're offering website owners free training, it's just a lot harder to do that under the radar. Yeah. So, well, internet blacklist should be made transparent. You should be able to look up what the internet blacklist is. Well, you should be able to you, subscribe. So, if you were an interested party, you should be able to subscribe to be alerted whenever a new thing was added to the blacklist. Well, you think so. Why but, are they uh, hiding it? Well, that, yeah. if, Are they hiding it because it is a website which has, you know, is a place where you could get something? If we, if we do talk about internet you know, we'll sidetrack our terrorism strategy for our um, talk about the internet blacklists and internet filtering. But if they're saying that the blacklists have to be hidden because they are the URLs to dodgy sites, what's the harm in making those dodgy site URLs publicly available if you've got a filter which means exactly. that nobody can go to them? Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm sure in some parts there will be, you know, you'd, you would have to have some sort of check to ensure that if it was containing foul or offensive language within the URL, that it was, you know, people who were not old enough to view foul and offensive language <laughs> wouldn't be able to see it. But uh, other than proper, that, there should be no reason. Know, an, an informed consent adult should have all the rights in the world to be able to see the blacklist of the country they're in if that country is promoting transparency and the ability for the average, you know, it's it's government by the people. That's what a democracy is about. And if you're hiding something from the people, what is that saying about the government? Yeah. Well, going back to the, to the, the story about the British uh, government, as I say, I, I don't get me wrong, I totally agree with the uh, um, the outcome they're trying to achieve, I mean, it, regardless of whether it's a a religious site or something completely different, any hate site or extremist site is not good, you know. But I still I don't know that I I've quite got my head around the approach that the government's using. It, it, it's almost to, to to be honest, the word underhanded comes up, and I don't know why. There's kind of this little argument in my head that says, yeah, but they're doing it for a good thing. But then mm. the other side of me kind of says, well, that's some dodgy underhanded technique. They, they can't be doing that. And Well, I, I wouldn't call to- it underhanded because it's, well, it's in the public. It's it's their plan, and they've said that this is their plan. <laughs> if it was completely underhanded, then they wouldn't have said anything. They would have just done it. <laughs> they've at least got yeah. some transparency in this information here. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, well, we're reporting the story, so it's obviously come from somewhere. Yep. Yep. All right, Google has uh, made a number of changes to its search system. Uh, we're now going to be able to search based on images, and that can mean a number of things. Uh, There's one example that that the story reports on, and that is, let's say you're doing a search for Paris. You type in Paris into Google, and you push search. What it may come up with is three different images. The Eiffel Tower, Paris Hilton, and an old church somewhere. And based on what you meant when you typed in Paris, uh, you click on one of these images and it further refines your search to take you into the right context. So maybe you were searching for Paris Hilton, so you click on the photo of her and you, you go down a completely different route uh, than you would if you clicked on, say, the Eiffel Tower. Mm. And that's going to be the new way of searching that uh, that Google can see anyway. And it's it's a lot quicker because p- pictures speak, you know, many words. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a good update, one of the... the search features that um, I know I use search images quite often when you're looking for an icon or you're looking for a, a picture of a building or a, you know something in particular using Google's image search is a brilliant thing and being able to refine it by using their new similar images feature is going to make it so much easier yeah I think this is neat this is a really cool uh, thing it's a really cool thing it's, and, it's, all, it's almost as cool as a new um 
technology that what was some search company, it was a little known search company, I can't remember uh, what their name is now, but they invented a, a, a way or implemented a way of searching for a tune by you whistle into the computer and you it'll go and search that tune for you. There are several other um, online applications which allow you to, you know, use your telephone, hold it up to a piece of music that's playing, and it will then tell you who that what that piece of music is and who it's by. So <laughs> it's cool. very similar that's to that, cool. except being able to whistle it, that's that's some interest. That's some pretty good technology in there to be able to yeah. determine what a person's whistling yeah. compared to, you know, I'm, just recognizing the, the waveforms from actual piece of music. I'm not sure how accurate that thing would be, but that, that's kind of what this reminds me of. But it's, it's images and it's Google. So, uh, but you know, this is this is really good stuff. I mm. I, I think it's going to make the way we search a lot, uh, a lot, you know, a lot easier, really. Yeah, yeah. You get so much more context from an image than you do from words, or you need a lot of words to 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 build up that context. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that you could just put into one image. Yep. The other thing they're going to implement as well is a, a sort of a timeline, a, a Google News timeline, where you can search, for example, for say baseball scores or the Iraq War, and what you'll see is a whole history of articles, photographs, and videos arranged chronologically. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, that's going to be really cool. Yeah, so that's that's what Google's got uh, planned for us, which I think is neat. I think that's two well worth it upgrades for um, well worth it features for Google to help them keep at the top of their game and at the top of the um, search leader. Yeah. And, you know, there's, it just goes to show that innovation is alive and well at Google. Innovation is alive and well at Google. All right. Telstra is going to roll out Windows 7. And I guess the reason this story is here is because Windows 7 has only just been released. Well, <laughs> yeah, release candidate one <laughs> is is coming out. Oh, it's only release candidate one, is it? Even, yeah, well, even it, more. It hasn't reason. been I mean, released itself yet. It already, but, well, um, there you go. Already Telstra has announced but, it's going to do a yeah, rollout. Who does yeah, that? That's that's indeed. It's it's the the Australia's largest tele you know telecommunications company saying that they are going to get you know bleeding edge operating system from the get-go because as anybody who's worked in a, a, a an organization knows uh, a the IT infrastructure of an organization is based on stability it's not bleeding edge the your desktop PCs have technology in them that have existed for a couple of years because it's tried and tested and that's what people want in a business the software that you're using is tried and tested the operating system you want is tried tested and supported <laughs> this is a huge business saying nope we're going to you throw away what we're currently doing which because they're currently still using Windows XP just like I don't think any business did <laughs> that I know of step up to Vista. Well, I was just going to say, I thought but they might they have been on Vista. That's, that's why they might make the change. It's like, we've got to get off this platform. Come on. It's, no, you know. no. They are still they are on Windows XP. Telstra is on Windows XP, and they're going to upgrade all of their desktops to Windows 7 as soon as it's released. It's, <laughs> that's a bit dangerous, it's, isn't it? It's not to say that Windows 7 is a bad thing, but as, you, as, you, as you've just demonstrated, you usually go for things that have been tried and tested. You wait for a service pack or two to come out, you know, yep. so that all the bugs are, uh, well, at least you know, enough yep. of the bugs you wait are wait for the good feedback, yeah. all of the yeah. stuff in, in operation within the user market first. Yep. And then you, you know, once it's been proven, heavily tested by your IT department, then it gets rolled out, so usually what, what a couple of ex- years later. But here they're going straight for it. They obviously have either a really good deal with Microsoft, which is always possible, or they have been, maybe they've been beta testing it from the beginning and they like what they've seen. Well, what are we going to expect from Telstra then? Dropped calls? Missing voicemail? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know... <laughs> well, only on their desktops. They're, they're being smart at least and they're not rolling it out on their servers Oh, okay. Yet. <laughs> oh, well, that's not so bad because they can always roll back to an, an XP desktop easily enough. A lot, a lot easier than you can a server. Mm. Reissue a, an XP you know, desktop to someone who's having a lot of trouble or something like that with Windows 7 and uh, away you go again. But, you yeah, know, it's, it's interesting that uh, that they've you know, taking this task on so soon. And like you said, maybe there's something there with Microsoft, I don't know, but... 
Yeah, well, obviously uh, Australia is the place of the early adopters for for Windows 7 because they've got um, apparently National Australia Bank. National Australia Bank is going to be migrating all of their desktops to Windows 7. They've already started testing. Is that right? They've already, they're in the, the, the release candidate test. The Commonwealth Bank of Australia has also started examining whether or not they will implement Windows 7 when it comes out. It's yeah, and and departments within the Australian government are, have also been um, having a look at Windows Seven. It's wow, <laughs> that's that's quite interesting for for yeah. so many um, businesses and government departments to be that interested in a a software that's an operating system for their desktops, which isn't even out yet, based on their their feedback and their testing of the betas versions of it. Yeah. So that gives me, as a, an end user, uh, a certain amount of extra confidence in um, Windows 7. Well, that's that's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think Windows 7 is going to be great. But, you know, I still, at home, I still wouldn't install that right away, at least not on my main working machine. I might have another secondary machine that I'll put it on as soon as it comes out and have a play with it and learn about it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and only when it's uh, a little more stable, perhaps, if you know if it's not already, uh, then I might put it on my main workhorse machine. But, you know, uh, to have these, you know, like you said, it, it might be, a, you know, saying a lot for Windows 7, so... There you go. Indeed. Australia, yes. the land of the early adopters. No, definitely for Windows 7. <laughs> All right, one story to wrap up the show, and that is Apple's pulled the plug on a baby shaker iPhone program. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, what, what is this app? Because you had a look at this, um, the details of the, this application. What, can you describe it to us? Basically, it was a you know, an internet software firm, uh, created an application, a game, which they put up on the iPhone app store. Uh, It was called Baby Shaker. And basically, it was a very, very simple game, which presented to you a black and white line drawing of a baby. And the baby would start crying and cry and cry and cry until you found a way to make the baby stop crying. What do you do? Give it a dummy? Uh, nope, you shake the iPhone. You use the oh, no, iPhone's velocity no. sensors um, no. to shake it, shaking the baby and making the baby stop crying. Are you serious? Is that, is that how the game goes? That is how the game goes. In fact, the the description of the game from the game's creator was, see how long you can endure his or her adorable cries before you just have to find a way to quiet the baby down. Oh, look, that, that's a bit of bad, that's bad taste, isn't it? It's really, really shockingly bad taste. And once you've finished shaking the device, the picture of a baby on screen has big large red X's over its eyes to show that it has finally stopped crying. Oh, that's that's terrible. No, that's... <laughs> Incredibly bad taste. I, yeah. I've seen, <laughs> I seen <laughs> nothing wrong at all with Apple going, wait a minute, that's an incredibly, incredibly bad taste program. That's not a game we want any kids getting hold of to play in case they then think that that might be <laughs> a way to stop their new <laughs> their new baby brother from crying <laughs> oh look you know it, it's actually quite hard you know when you see st- real stories in the news about babies being shaken uh you know shaken to death in some cases mm. You know, and then you see this and you think, no, you know, come on, this this is a little over the top. I think you've just stepped, stepped over the mark a little too far on that one. Indeed, indeed. I think they yes. were probably expecting to see, for people to see some humorous side to it and then that would be hugely popular because of that because it was kind of edgy and perhaps viewed as, as humorous well, in some know, way. Morbid humor maybe? Well, well, yeah, morbid I mean, or grotesque right. humor? Yes, it's it's, I, well, it's yeah. not an app I would get. No way. No, no, no. It, it, well, I would probably have tried it for a few seconds and then gotten very bored with it. But also, you know, it would lose its appeal relatively quickly. It's, well, as a father, it's, I wouldn't, want to, really be, I wouldn't want to be seen with that app on my iPhone if I had one. Oh, no. If you're a parent, you definitely wouldn't want to get it. No. <laughs> 
No, look, uh, yeah, it's been pulled off the website. Went on sale on Monday, and Apple did confirm that on Wednesday it was removed. So, yep. um, and I think not they, only they is the right it removed decision. from Apple, <laughs> the software that the software company that made it <laughs> has removed it from its own website. Oh, is that right? I wonder if something yeah. is said. I think the the furor that it rose, you know, that rose up from this with the different abuse um, organizations, the National Center on Shaken Baby Syndrome and different brain foundations, etc., condemning this game, probably <laughs> the massive negative publicity would have been very bad for, for um, any company. I wonder, though, how how much curiosity the story generated. You know, people just wanting to download it and play it just simply oh, yeah. because they heard about it. it I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm I'm a perfect example of I would never have downloaded it until it was became known and it was suddenly everywhere. And well, I I would want to see what it was about. Curiosity killed the cat, hey? Well, in this case, shook the baby. <laughs> yeah, killed the baby. Anyway, that's terrible. So, look, that's... It uh, is. It's, <laughs> I, yeah, I have absolutely no problem with that form of control over what Apple has available for no, sale. No, that's a good thing. In if, its app store. Yeah, if there's anything good about this story, it's the fact that the application was pulled and, and that was... Indeed. Indeed. Well, look, that, that wraps up episode 14 of The Boys of Tech. Brad, thank you once again for hosting this uh, the show for, uh, with me. Not a problem. Always fun. And uh, we'll do it all again uh, next week. Indeed we will. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And uh, see you all again next week for episode 15. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.